And welcome on in, everybody, to the Check Your Brain podcast here, wherever you are listening to this for free, wherever you get your podcasts on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, for now, <laughs> Spotify figures this out and doesn't want me to be a part of this, uh, or on Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. Go check that out. My name is Tony Mazer. I'm the host of the Check Your Brain podcast, and with me is somebody I've admired from afar. I've listened to him on other podcasts and seen videos and love his work, love what he's doing and putting himself out there. And that's Hawk Jensen. And I'm so happy to be talking to him because he has a new, uh, uh, well, it's a, a series coming out and it's called Follow the Science. And it's essentially, that's what it is, is this follow the science mantra that we have now heard the last three years that you can't question science. Science is concrete, even though we all know it's not concrete. We all should have realized what was it number one or number two in the, in the scientific method was a hypothesis and your hypothesis, things could be subject to change, but we decided, nope, science is settled. The science, the science in all capital letters. And uh, so I'm pleased to, to talk to Hawk, who, who's going to put a spotlight on what happened the last couple of years, and especially in 2020 and 2021 with Follow the Science, talking about the situation, the uh, immediate impact and the downstream impact of the lockdown. So Hawk, thanks for joining us, being a part of the show here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I got I, my first question, I got to start with a quick soliloquy before I lead it, but it'll lead into the question is... I would say this is about April 10th of 2020. My gym was closed. Your gym was closed. Everybody listening, their gym was closed. Their churches were closed. There are a lot of their places of business and whether they're working or that they frequent were closed. The liquor stores were open. So were the grocery stores, which happened to be big places of, uh, <laughs> of uh, where people were getting sick. But couldn't do anything. So I, was, I don't have a Bowflex. I don't have a big setup to work out at home. So I would go for runs and it would clear my mind. I was getting angry over things. This was, again, April 10th, 15 days to flatten the curve. Now we're 10 days past the 15 days. So it's now 25 days of flattening the curve. And I'm wondering what is going on. And I would listen to Tom Woods's podcast, Michael Malice, Dave Smith, and I would get done. And I was running so long that I finished all the podcasts in my queue. So now it's just me and my breath me and my thoughts. And I'm, I'm in a development not far from where I'm recording this podcast right now. And I thought to myself, how is this era that we are currently going through going to be remembered? Who is going to write the history books? Is it going to be McGraw-Hill, where a child's text, textbook is going to say Dr. Fauci was John the Baptist, that he was Paul Revere, that he saved countless lives because of lockdown measures and vaccines and this, 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 and this. Um, and I thought to myself, because even sensible people, my friends were saying, we got to get together for a Zoom happy hour. Like I'm 32 at the time, I'm 32, you're 32, statistically showing, I think we're going to be okay if we got together and had a couple of drinks and talked. Nope, got to do Zoom happy hour. Uh, it's sensible people in the arts community, which I want to get to your your uh, thoughts on this because of being a filmmaker and me doing stand-up and me working in media. I was very disappointed in their reaction towards this. So I thought about how are we going to remember this? Who is going to write this in real time? Who is going to document this? Were the people that caused mass death, that caused a lot of deaths of despair because of lockdowns, are going to be remembered as holier-than-thou people? 
And those of us who wanted a business open because we just want to go to Fuddruckers and just eat a sandwich and uh, MAGA, this, this, and this. And I'm thinking, who is going to document this and be the person to say, no, 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 that's your narrative. That's not the correct narrative. And when I found out Hawk Jensen, of all people, seems to be one of the first people to really put this out on the line, put his career on the line and say, hey, I'm going to make this series about the impact of the lockdowns. And I was so happy to hear that. So I guess long winded soliloquy monologue that I have here. The question I have is, was there a specific time for you that you said, I need to be the person that has to document this if no one else is? It's a good question. Um, well, it was, um, I'll give a little lead up and I'll tell you how the, how it came to be, uh, how I came to be helming in this project. Um, again, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. It's a wild time we've been living through these last couple of years. And I did, I mean, I've spent my career uh, last 10 years working with dissidents and working with people who, who survived closed societies, authoritarian societies. And I just, I saw that it was, it was a needed, uh, you know, stories that are in the margins and the shadows that weren't being served. When I heard of COVID and it, and it seemed like the medical and, and all these uh, dissidents I, I, I spoke to said, everything that they dealt with will reinvent itself and reemerge someday. And, and it would probably be, you know, you know, there were a number of things to look for. And it did seem as if a medical tyrannical move would be the move, would be the, the prudent move because it's hard to argue against it initially because it's like, oh, we're helping everyone. So I was living in California at the time. I heard of COVID. There was maybe a day or two of like, huh, this, there's some unknowns here and everyone seems to be taking it very seriously. But I realized it was going to be a major realignment of society and a major power grab by the powers that be by the state. It was it was clear and and yet I knew that because of the current status of the way people heard things and saw things, I mean I'd been be, I'd been jumping up and down trying to like let people know we're slipping into a the world of authoritarianism without even putting up a fight. And it seemed like nobody wanted to do it. So I wanted to take it on. So I initially was like, well, it's time for me to get out of California. I, I had set myself up to bug out after you know within 30 days. I ended up staying for a time. I had some family there, wrote it out for a while and got out January 21, 2021 and was got my business out, got myself out. Not sure I was, I had a travel trailer. I was traveling around, which is like, I want to keep freedom of moving a thing. I just want to just enjoy this country while everyone is being forced not to. I'd only been gone about two weeks when I got a phone call from my colleagues who uh, filmmakers all who, who gave me a call and said, hey, uh, one of us is a Tom Woods fan. Tom Woods had just said, "Hey, someone should make this show. Someone, someone needs a someone needs to take this on." And and my my colleague had did a little soul searching that night. He's like, "Oh, oh gosh, that's that's me." And I mean himself. And then he's like, "Well," and he called some of his best confidants, and I was one of them. And he calls me up and says, "Hey, I, I think you should direct this thing." And it was like, uh I mean, I've been training for this for my whole life, effectively, and I saw it coming. I could see through it from the get-go, and it was like, "All right, let's do this." So, so in the middle of re, you know, of moving myself, it came time to 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 uh, take on a project like this, and and you know, it was it, we had to talk about it very seriously because I mean, these these are all my colleagues and and co-producers and 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 the vendors and and co-creators I'm working with. I mean, they work in the real. They, we all worked in 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 Hollywood. I mean, I've been doing controversial stuff, so I felt 
a little more comfortable doing something controversial. But I mean, cancel culture was getting huge. And if you spoke up against this stuff, people were really jumping on you. You could see the the, the knives were out. Even even you could see the the way something would be said and, and it would be exacerbated about, you know, things that you had to do with the risk. I mean, everyone thought there was a one in five chance of dying from this, like a 20% chance. It was 0.02% chance, I mean, much smaller uh, percentages. And it seemed as if people were way, way, way out of line with the reality of it. And so we decided to do it. But we also knew that we didn't want to be working for an organization. We didn't want to have something that would usurp our, our, our message here because we had an independent way of thinking. We had a difference of opinion. We wanted to support scientists and medical professionals who had a difference of opinion, who we could see were trying to speak up and were getting were getting crushed everywhere they would make the attempt. So so we actually started uh, raising funds. We, we let Tom know we were inspired by him. He was very gracious towards us and gave us our first $10,000 towards our first $300,000 uh, raise. And um, and we set about making the pilot. So we're releasing the pilot episode. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, what we call a speculative pilot. We've made it on our own and we're going to go as far as we can with it in terms of distribution and whatnot. We can talk about that in a little bit, but, um, we're really, we, we raised funds for about a year and then got into uh, production, uh, started off with an interview with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, which was a great place to start. And this was still early when he was relatively unknown. People were kind of had heard a little bit about the, about the uh, great Barrington declaration because, uh, Dr. Fauci and, and Francis Collins had, um, had, had put out it, the word had come out on the emails that they were trying to quash them as, as fringe. And, uh, but we really wanted to have something that appealed to everybody, like a, a broad array of minds, diverse th thinking. So we got, uh, Dr. David Katz, who's, who's, a, a, a chronic, a chronic disease specialist and uh, is often uh, he's, he's often appears in the New York Times and and started to put together a really great cast of what we call it's a hybrid documentary where we have we have we have talent we have uh, in, uh, influencers and we have actors doing um, cut pieces so we we wanted to put together something that was entertaining cinematic created a world where people could step in and talk about this because everyone the one thing we could tell is that no one wanted to talk about it. Yes. Like it was like if you talked about it in any way other than towing the line, you were you were bad news. So so just to kind of sum up the, the initial answer to the question, I got the phone call from some friends and, and all of our, our our artist tingly sense and our rational, logical sense was going off hard. And we were like, we have to do this. This is what we do. And and it, we were very early on. I mean, we people it was it felt like our careers really were on the line and they still are technically. But obviously things have have eased off a little bit because the we're almost at peak absurdity with it but the need to, to as you said tell the story we wanted to make sure we captured a historically significant um aspect perspective on what happened because it's just getting shoved aside by everybody else like i hate that that the, the revisionist sort of mainstream narrative well they'll just they'll just push aside all the things they did so that that was the impetus of all of this so uh, you mentioned being in california and i happen to be in california the day of the first bout of the insanity was going on so I, I was out there for a work event and flew out to san diego we went we're up in carlsbad and oceanside and uh this was march 8th of 2020 and mm -hmm. we we went out there we're at the airport we get to san diego airport and the whole big thing at that time was don't touch your face wash your hands that was it it was like hey you don't want to yeah. get sick oh that sounds sensible i'm fine sure hand sanitizer, wash your hands, try not to touch your face. Kind of, we learned that as teenagers because you didn't want to get acne on your face. That was, that was sure, one of the yeah. big things. Yeah. 
Yeah. Then fast forward a couple of days, not weeks, not months, not years, days. It turned into what is going on. The airport mm-hmm. that we were at that was packed four days earlier was a ghost town. Nobody wanted to fly anywhere. Nobody wanted to do anything. Um, and knowing my coworkers, I was, uh, they went to go, I think they went to Walt Disney Studios and whatever they were doing something. I said, I'm going to peel off from my group. I'm going to go to a hockey game. I went to go see the Kings and Senators at then known as Staples Center. I went to go to see Soul Asylum and Local H at a concert venue. And I went over to the comedy store. And my coworkers called me and said, do you think this is a good idea to be in front of crowds right now? And I said, I've read up on authoritarian governments and tyrannical governments and what they're capable of doing. I'm going to have my fun tonight because I don't know when the next time I'm going to have this kind of fun. And truth be told, didn't realize how really uh, way ahead of myself that I was because I wasn't having that kind of fun for another 15 months at least. Wow. Yeah, That's just what happened. And then the insanity really started and just seeing how people, and I think one of the big things is when you get into the topic of lockdowns, which is what this is really is about, is I don't think people, I think people really underestimated the lockdowns at the beginning and they almost cheered it on because it seemed like a vacation. It seemed like I've been so go, go, go. We had Christmas and birthdays and this and that. Mm -hmm. And I'm fine with staying home for 15 days. It's 15 days to flatten the curb. Fine. Look at this. I, hey, my, I got more of my paycheck because I didn't go to the bar or the restaurant and I didn't do this. I didn't drive a lot. So you made more money. And that's how it kind of hypnotized a lot of people into sure. feeling that lockdown seemed like a good thing. Also, it helps prevent the spread. And I kept scratching my head saying, at some point, are people going to wake up? And mm-hmm. unfortunately, a lot of people that, again, I thought were sensible people did not and it facilitated and it got even worse with the masking and the social distancing and the stickers on the floor when they started slowly reopening things and 25% capacity at restaurants. A lot of restaurants can't operate at 100% capacity. What makes you think they can keep open at 25? So these are all the things that you're mentioning and that uh, the, the folks in the documentary are mentioning. Um, but what I love is the attack on the lockdowns because for a lot of people, they just assume that that's okay. You know, I'm fine with, I'm fine with sacrificing my liberties as long as people don't get sick. And luckily your series is coming out to say, that's not how it is. That's not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. It was a well-planned short circuiting of people's good intentions. It was a well thought out. It's well understood that ah, if people feel they have a righteous reason for, for, for doing what they're doing, as well as, you know, protecting themselves, protecting their own, protecting people who are also protecting themselves. Therefore it's okay to roll back their own self-interest in terms of their liberties and freedom. And, and, and it's an obscure concept, freedom and liberty. What, I mean, what is it really? I mean, I've spent the last 10 years making documentaries about the concept and it's hard. It's hard to get it across to people what, what that means and what it is they're, they're giving up. And and we're, we are also kind of in, we are in this sort of me, me, me era with the internet where the, the Google never says no to you, shall we say. People are always looking things up. They can, they can instantly, they never have to say, hey, I don't know what that is. Can you explain that to me? That's not a thing people do anymore. People aren't confident enough to, to ask those sort of questions. And so the, the ability to ask questions and question authority, let alone the source of the authority, became passe or verboten, really. And but but you're you're right. It was it was very interesting to watch. It didn't matter. It, it did not matter the community. It could be, you know, it was conservative, liberal, uh, uh, leftist, uh, classical liberal, um, 
you know, any, you know, the, the local community college theater groups, it just seemed to go right down the middle. Half would go one way, half would go the other. And, and I just saw the whole thing is, I mean, I remember when the masks started to come out and I mean, they just don't, I mean, people don't even understand how the immune system works. You want to exercise your immune system. Yes. And so this idea of separating yourself from, from the world is actually not good for you, but that, but that's the kind of thing that just wasn't common knowledge. There was just sort of this sense that if you're exposed to it, I mean, if you, I remember like, like the, the weakest link, I mean, those, those types of conversations were happening. And, and there was this incredible sense of I'm doing it right, everyone else is doing wrong, and they're going to drop dead in the streets. Yeah, I, I remembered one of my coworkers at the time asked me, and I think this had to have been May, maybe early June. So in Ohio, we didn't have a mask mandate until, I believe, July 4th weekend. Mm. And because it started, they say, if you're in a car with two or more people, whether it's rideshare or you're with your family, got to wear a mask. I'm like, yeah, you're not. No police officer is going to enforce this. That's not going to happen. So it's probably late May, right before the riots started. And that's my that's where I'm going to go to next. Sure. One of my coworkers said, uh, how do you wash your masks? Like, uh, do you do you hang them up? Do you uh, do you wash them in the tub? Do you hand wash them? Do you put them in the laundry? And I didn't tell her. I said, oh, yeah, you know, I have a bunch of them. That's all I said. But in reality, I never wore one to that point. There was no reason for me to wear one because we. I kind of figured really early on that the uh, the particles that emit from your mouth and your nose are way smaller than that little T-shirt sleeve that you put over your face for a little bit. It's not going to work even with an N95. We all a lot of us knew this when you want to talk about following the science, but they followed the propaganda science. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was just really sad. And what was even more sad was how by the time we get to May, so we're two and a, so we went from 15 days to flatten the curve to it's two and a half months. People are yeah. people have indentations of their butt crack on their sofa because they've been sitting so long. They've watched sure. Tiger King. They've watched everything on Hulu and Netflix at the time. They've ordered so much food on DoorDash that food just magically pops up. And all of our health directors and governors and leaders were saying, stay home, stay safe, wear your mask, can't go to the skate park, can't go to the playground, can't go to the beach. You'll have a grim reaper going up and down the beaches in Florida. Can't do that. You're killing people. Then George Floyd. And mm. Then we get to a weird point with the lockdowns where the same people who told us for two and a half months that you need to stay home can't say that because then they're going to seem racially insensitive. So they're like, I guess uh, racism is a bigger disease than COVID. So go out yeah. make sure you wear a mask, but that's fine. And I think that woke a, a, a little bit more people up. Yeah, from that, the that was a big moment. Like, was was it truly about control or was it about controlling a virus? Because now you're telling us to go in groups of tens and 20,000 people to go out and protest for something, which I'm all about. I'm fine. Protest. You do whatever you want. I'm a libertarian. Yeah. But you just told us we can't go out. But now right. we can go out because it's an accepted form of protest. Did you see that when you've been you were doing your research that a lot of people started scratching their heads saying, wait a second, maybe the lockdowns aren't necessarily about stopping the spread. That's a good example. The, the George Floyd riots were, were in the, the, the mainstream narrative of some things are just too important to worry about uh, respiratory diseases. I mean, that's when people are like, well, wait, that makes no sense. Here we are. We're, we're doing our job because there was there was this initial 
point, kind of like a like in post 9-11, in terms of I mean, you're a bit younger than I am, but in terms of there was this people were like everyone was giving blood left and right in the days immediately after there, there really is. I mean, I always I still believe in this country and there is this sort of pulling together as an American when something big happens and people want to do something right. And it was being that aspect of our sort of shared personality was I feel like being exploited, but it was being but it was it, was, it seemed legit for a little bit where people are like, well, we got to do what we need to do. And, and, you know, in like two weeks, there was a sort of this mission drift after the initial two weeks, and it was like three weeks, four weeks. And, but I also was, I personally was painfully aware that, I mean, it's, it's well known if you want to change, uh, if you want to break a habit, it takes 30 days. If you want to, if you want to start a new habit, it takes 90 days. I mean, all these kind of psychological things that are well known are also very well known to authoritarian regimes. And I could see as like, ah, oh, they got the, they've got their foot, their foot in the door. And I mean, the, a good example of this is, of, is like Ai Weiwei. Um, um, collectivist regimes, <laughs> there's your cat. Uh, collectivist regimes, um, authoritarian regimes know that, you know, you don't want to give uh, the mic, you don't, you don't want to give a platform or bullhorn to an, a, a dissident activist, uh, artist, a free, free expressionist. And and that what you don't want to do is put them on put them on trial and let them speak and let, it'll affect people because ideas are like a virus to collectivists you know like someone thinking for themselves causes other people to think for themselves and that that's a bad thing people will start questioning the authority and so if you may recall Iwaiwei was actually arrested and put in the jail for about ninety days given no privacy and forced to uh, he had two guards staring at him for those ninety days. Now they, they they know that the the basically the the way it's understood is that once that happens, that artist will never fully express themselves as fully as they once did. It takes wow. about that long. And this I just saw this as one giant experiment to try and change the norms of how people acted, how people thought, and they just needed to stretch it out as long as they could. And like anything past ninety days is gravy. And they got this thing the last year and a half, two years, and and it's hugely affecting. I mean, I mean. I, how do we account for the variable of the extreme stress of what was going on? You talked about people at the initial vacation in the lapdown class, laptop class, effectively, who really, in terms of the actual, like the term privilege, that's a real privilege to be able to do that. Whether like, hey, stop working for two weeks, maybe work from home for two weeks and see how it goes. And the, the usually the self-avowed left to center sort of liberal class were like, oh, this is this is great. And it's like, well, this is putting huge, huge pressure on on on, on the people who live in poverty or, or or not as well as means or live paycheck to paycheck who started to suffer enormously. And they just pretended they, those people didn't exist. I mean, 200 million kids went into food insecurity almost overnight. Hundreds of thousands are dying of poverty, uh, famine all over the world. But it's just, that was out there. Uh, my bubble was okay. And it just turned everyone into these very self-centered, narcissistic kind of, what's the word? I'm trying to think what to call them. They just, they, I mean, the NPCs kind of come to mind yes. in terms of like that popular term, but uh, but it, it really was interesting to watch people like they were being changed by this effect and 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 disease, you know, disease. I mean, the old you break it down. Stress causes symptoms. There's so many stressors coming in that you know people are like, oh, I'm having all these problems. Like I, I have my questions about long COVID. How do we know that being stuck at home, separated from people, people's family members are are, are dying for all sorts of reasons? I mean, life was going on. I mean, people were dying from like kidney failure and cancer and all these things, but the hospitals didn't care. They just let them die at home. These are traumatic experiences. That's going to affect that larger family. It's going to affect everybody. And how do we account for that variable 
all those variables and what it did to us. And, and, and it was like, it didn't exist. It's like, you couldn't even get it to register in their minds as something to, to consider, including the health professions. I mean, we, part of the docu-series, we have um, a couple whose father uh, basically died due to medical negligence. He was, he had, he needed dialysis. He was dying. Of kidney, he had kidney failure, needed dialysis. He had tested positive with COVID, had no symptoms, but all they could do everywhere they went, they just like, oh, we have to treat him like he, it's for COVID. We're treating him like, no, we, yeah. we, they, they were desperate to get him dialysis and they could not get anyone to listen. They absolved themselves of any responsibility for anything else. It became totally myopic, one thought, and it allowed people to think they were doing the right thing. And, you know, I mean, it, it was you know, sort of a, a mass psychosis. We were watching it happen. And there were those who us, when those of us who could see it, and it's like, you feel, you feel powerless to it. You feel powerless in the face of it. And so that's why we're making this docu-series. We wanted to be able to capture those of us who thought differently. And, and, and to your point earlier, I mean, there was a moment where it just clicked, like on a dime. Suddenly all the leaders said, we're all locking down, regardless of age, regardless of, you know, we, we really should have focused on who is vulnerable. Let's, let's, let's fo focused care. Who are the vulnerable? Let's create a system for them. We all support them. Society continues. That was the traditional scientifically sound method of dealing with a pandemic. All that science was shoved out of the way mm -hmm. and sort of this build back better lockdown world kind of became the norm overnight for everyone. And you, and you put it, it was like a three or four day thing. Poof, there it was. Gone. And, and what was interesting was it, it just like after 9-11 that you brought up was that we did have this feeling where normal people were getting together. You hug each other. You put your American flag out there. But in reality, the politicians, bipartisan, this is when you were, you know, the alarm bells should sound. They all got together, no matter what political persuasion, to say, we need to fight these terrorists. What do we get? We get the Patriot Act where they spy on us. <laughs> And it's like, wait a second, that's not what we were talking about. We we're trying to say we need right. to snuff out terrorism. And instead, you're tapping our phones to make sure we're not saying anything a little uncouth. Well, what happened was in March of 2020, didn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican, they all failed us. My governor was the first in Ohio, Mike DeWine, who is a rhino, was we call Republican in name only. He's a very pro-business guy, but he also thought he can reach across the aisle, be a little John McCain-like and be a maverick, Mitt Romney, and say, we're going to start shutting. The first thing was it was the Arnold Schwarzenegger Invitational. It was, it was a bodybuilding competition that is in Columbus yeah. in mid, early to mid-March every year. Yeah. Shut that down, said, there's people from all over the place. We're going to close this. Then it became the schools. Then it became nine o'clock. We're shutting down on uh, March 15th. At nine o'clock, the bars and restaurants shut down. The next mm -hmm. day, March 16th, I'm on the treadmill it's about 2.45. The governor spoke at two o'clock and said, we are shutting down immediately the salons and the gyms. And as I'm on the treadmill, I'm just starting. I, I was getting a good workout in and I'm seeing the TVs being shut off left and right and going, here we are. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. had to make sure in my mind and to at least my small social circle, let's never pretend any of this, that this that's going on is the new normal. Sure. All these very, in my opinion, Marxist, communist terminology that was popping up, new normal, social distancing, stay home, stay safe, wear your mask, wear this, this, and this. And it bothered me that everybody else just fell in line, like yeah. NPCs, like blue-pilled Americans. It's you know online terminology, but well, these are these arbitrary numbers. These arbitrary numbers in terms of like how many people get together, like six or eight. Or, I mean, I mean, it just seemed like there was a very concerted effort to stop freedom of assembly. 
What we, we, we have to stop is having people get together and exchanging ideas because, you know, there might be a different way. I mean, because there were a lot of doctors, there were a lot of scientists who thought, oh, wow, this is happening. And they sat down and they started looking at it. They started looking at the science. They started looking at what's going on. How do we best approach this? Lots of interesting things were coming out. People were issuing their own statements. I mean, uh, medical professionals, but what to do. And all that was ignored. I mean, it was just, I mean, this, 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 I mean, what I think is about this country is we have all these petri dishes of experimentation and innovation. And it was like, and I was waiting for that Manhattan Project, Camp David Accord, and when you brought together the best minds, they de devised the the system of how do we test it, how do we how do we create like the 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 full the foolproof test for it, what it is, who's affected by it, who gets to like who's going to volunteer to get uh, the, the disease on purpose so they can test it, they can they can. Uh, watch it purposefully and who's going to be the volunteers to go in and be the control like the control group i mean what happened to the control group i mean in, in science no that's a major part of it that, and that it was, just seemed that was what was funny you mentioned control i'll, I'll get back to you in a second it was sure. funny how that they would just go with a mask mandate and they'd say well this school it has lower cases because they have masks than this school and you're like you're there's no control here yeah. there's no control group it, you're it, just putting out flood uh, manipulative data here and all these things if you chose not to wear a mask if you chose to interact it was it was you deciding to take the risk for yourself I mean that that was the thing that was interesting to me that no one ever wanted like the, the sort of the masses didn't want to believe that I thought no you're putting everyone else at threats like no you're putting yourself out there so you get exposed you allow your immune system to get to to activate and essentially you know if you if you're able to get it beat it get get the um, the the antibodies for it then your your viral load will be very light and you you could actually help people by by giving exposing them very lightly if 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 at all you know and like even asymptomatic transmission which is not a thing really i mean but it was again the noble life masks asymptomatic uh, transmission those were all said even by dr fauci at certain points those are not an issue for pandemics masks are not effective but then they, the noble lie came along and we we're like you know what we're going to reverse ourselves no matter how ridiculous it looks because we want compliance we want compliance so we're going to start lying in, in, in their sense, in, in their in their own self-described noble sense of trying to get people to do what they what they say, and that's the what I was kind of getting at in terms of changing behavior. They're looking for compliance. Yes. They want to know people do what they are told. This is their opportunity to turn the citizens of independent thinkers, critical thinkers of this country into into one giant compliant collective. We all we, we've all worked in businesses where somebody has a cold or the flu and they're coming up, they're hacking, they're sneezing, whatever. And the boss has to come by and says, just go home. Just go home today. You're not feeling well. So, uh, I try sure. to try to come in. And uh, if I could get through a couple more days, I don't want to take any sick time or PTO. They're like, just 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 go home. You're in effect. Yeah. I was fine with that at the beginning. Again, early March of 2020. If yeah. you're sick, stay home. Fine. That works for me. That the companies will get together and say, look, there is a disease out there. Then it became healthy people. You may think you're healthy, right. but you may be infected with COVID and spread it to other people. So therefore, that leads to not only the lockdowns, because I might be sick right now, but I right. just don't realize it. I think I'm okay, but you're asymptomatic. So there was that, and the same with the masking. The reason why we had to have universal mask mandates, whether you're in remote areas or in densely populated, you know, or densely populated areas or heavily like New York City, why does why does New York City have to have the same type of mandate 
that's somewhere in like water to New York, like uh, way yeah. upstate with populations of 5,000 in small cities. Why did that have to have a universal sweeping mandate over it? And it, like you said, it changed behavior. It changed a lot of people. And uh, unfortunately, it changed people's perception when it came to politics, because even uh, to me, this shouldn't have been a political thing. And I, th I'm, I don't know if you guys mentioned that in the uh, in the series, but it turned political. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't care who's enforcing this. This is wrong. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. I don't care if you're Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, whether you have a blue state or a red state governor who's enforcing this. I think you're all wrong. But then it became such a political hot button issue because of the year that it was. It was 2020. So was there something when doing research for this project that you were seeing a lot of parallels politically as opposed to it wasn't just necessarily about the medical industrial complex, but you were also looking at a more of a political basis to this, too? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the series, we really are focusing on the Institute of Science. I mean, how the Institute of Science got sort of elevated as the arbiters of truth, and we're trying to dismantle that. Science is this, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing journey for truth that's constantly self-correcting and asking questions. In terms of the political aspect, we, we try to actually, we, we do discuss it. We try and actually not get mired in it. We try and look at like what science, what so science. you mentioned the politics, but you don't get political. It's, it's Yes, we don't get, yeah, exactly. Because 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 we also know we want people to understand it. We want to create a, a scientific uh, literacy in, in people who watch this in terms of, I mean, as you know, language is under a lot of duress and you know, control of definitions oh, yeah. and stuff. So we try and establish terms, use them appropriately, use them in context, use them through throughout the series. And so that way, um, if people watch this, they have a shared vernacular to then discuss what happened. We, we have some, I would say, deft ways to, 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 we bring up the politics at a certain point with people who've earned it, especially people who have experienced extreme trauma from this. And everyone experienced a degree of trauma from this experience. This is the first true worldwide experience. But I will say in terms of the politics, in terms of the machinations of government and how it interacted with this, one of the things we did have to we, we did a lot of um, discovery on was you know we were collecting data we have all these sources we have this um we have these statisticians and various scientists supporting us uh nick hudson is one of our co-hosts of it and he's the chairman of panda uh, panda it's pandata and analy analytics panda.org and they're they're based on they're a southern hemisphere european group of basically dissident scientists doctors and all kinds of professionals who push back against this so we've been they've been handing us all kinds of materials and it's a lot of scientists who have a lot to say who won't publish because it would ruin their careers exactly but we have all this material and all these great sources one of the things we learned about is like data collection um if you look at the united states alone each state let alone each county has different ways of collecting data and things don't exist from the perspective of the government until it's been reported to them it's a strange thing where like you can have weeks of data, things happening. You can have trends of disease, trends of the virus, cases, deaths, if we're looking at COVID. And, and the government would say they could wait as long as they wanted to like, okay, they, you know, like the data can come in like uh, every Friday or they could come in like, you know, please report it as it comes in. But some would like, we'll ask for it when we want it. And so you, they would say, okay, California, shall we say, or, or some other state, New York, and they say, like, send us the data from the last three weeks. 
boom, all of it comes in, poof, there's a spike. All the cases, all the deaths, all the anything come in and there's a spike. And then it's because that's not reality until it's been reported, they can point to it as if it's a spike in cases. And then that they could use it and say, oh, we're gonna re-implement um, lockdowns. We're gonna bring back mask mandates, whatever it was like, even though really those numbers were spread out over time and there were there was no spike or there you know there were trends that were much more um, amenable to to management the government could through selective timing of when they collected the data to choose to make reality as they saw fit and that's and the variations on that theme from state to state to state could just manipulate that any way they wanted to so like we use a lot of this data and even we know like the data itself is questionable, mm -hmm. but we we're, we're using conservative methodologies to, to to look at what the trends were within it, and we it was just just that alone, seeing how the government had that much control over what reality was from yeah. their perception versus the experience of people on the ground. And it really created. Well, I don't want to say created because I think a lot of the uh, cable news from the first Gulf War, the second Gulf War, started when you created the expert class. That mm. this was the expert class. Like you can't have a point counterpoint. You can't have crossfire. You can't have Paul Begala versus Pat Buchanan. You need to mm. have one opinion because this is the expert. So it created during COVID that no, there is no Jay Bhattacharya. There is no Dr. Malone. There is no Dr. McCullough. We can't have anybody who's on this side. That's on the outside of the Overton yeah. window of uh, acceptable discourse. So we have. Dr. Fauci, who hasn't worn a lab coat in decades, but has to go on TV with his lab coat, or Dr. Burks, or Dr. Walensky, and they have to lecture us on because they are the experts. And when you have an expert class, if you are somebody who disagrees with the expert, then you're just a peanut gallery. And that's what I love the fact that you did get Dr. Uh, Jay Bhattacharya on here, because there, there were people in that Great Barrington dec Declaration that were sounding the alarm bells from the very beginning to say this disease is not impacting kids. If they get it, they get sick for a couple of days and then they're fine. And in fact, their immune systems are probably even better after that. It is affecting older people, obese people. And we knew this very early. This isn't something that just came out last week. And we said, hey, because you start to see a couple of stories that pop up that say, their studies are saying that people who work out are uh, tend to live longer. You go, yeah, we we kind of knew that. <laughs> we kind of knew that a couple of years ago, but you were banned essentially from saying that on social media. So the expert class got to go in there and put their glasses down their nose. And if you disagreed with them, it's because you want grandma to die. And it, it bothered me so much that I would see, yeah. again, I'm going to say sensible people, or at least who I thought just fell in line. It was It was sad. Yeah, this uh, killing grandma that was a major meme of sorts, if you will, in terms of justifying mm -hmm. all the all these like if how dare you ask a question you're killing grandma and and, and those things would kind of come and they would ebb and flow as they came along. It was it was it was shocking to see happen and. I mean, just even you talk about like the numbers. I mean, you know, CNN like here today's death toll. Where were those numbers coming from? There's no mechanism in the in the country to report cases and deaths at that rate, at that speed, at a daily effect. I mean, when someone dies, it's a it's a long, arduous paperwork process. 
I've always that that's that's one of those things you can ask any journalist. Where were those numbers coming from? Those, there's no there's no actual source for it. And then and then any numbers that went against them. I mean, this was what you talked about Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone, all these guys who were trying to raise the alarm about like, well, this doesn't make any sense because this is not how it's you know like we're ignoring all these aspects, all these all these measures that were perfectly fine yesterday, but now today, oh, we're going to ignore anything that goes against the narrative and goes and 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 goes against the expert class, as you're saying, and. It just was, it was, um, just thinking about it a little bit. It's just, it was shocking to see, I mean, narrative is possible. I know what I'm gonna say. I mean, this is what I often come back to, the power of story, because people do, you talk about the Overton window, people only feel comfortable saying the thing they've heard somebody else that they believe has thought it through. They themselves don't think it through. They haven't critically thought through all the aspects of it. They, they There's a presentation, they look good on TV, they're well-spoken, they say a certain thing, and then everyone says it over and over again. You turn on all the various news channels, they say it over and over again. And that there's something about the repetition that brings comfort to people, even though they could, you know, the metaphorically, they're, they're, they're acting as a lemming and they're all heading towards the cliff. But as long as everyone's in lockstep and moving together in pattern, in rhythm, in regurgitating the same line, it's, it somehow soothes people. And, and the authoritarian style consultants who I feel are highly influencing our day, today's leaders are, this is what they're bringing to the table. And, and I do believe that because everyone's been exposed to it, I, I think there's a lot of people waking up to it like never before. People who, I mean, you yourself described libertarian, there's the freedom movement, Ivan, Ivan Kokosin with the classical liberals for well on a decade and trying to defend uh, freedom and, and freedom of expression. And it used to be, it was just like, it just seemed to we'd reach kind of the same choir over and over again. But I feel there are individuals, we were talking about the split up of all the different groups. There are people waking up all over the world who see what, what they're seeing versus is what they're being told does not compute mm. and that is the awakening of the critical thinking that's a, that's that's one click of a think of, of critical thinking awakening the, and the, that, but on the other side it causes that cognitive dissonance is that the cognitive it's like i was told one thing and you're telling me there's something else no you're wrong because what i was told at the beginning is what i'm going by and it's kind of like on twitter for example when they post something that turns out to be fake and it gets uh, 190,000 retweets yeah. and 750,000 likes. And then the correction has about 25 retweets and, you know, maybe 50 likes. And you say, oh, okay, but people believe the first thing and they're told. And then when you present them that next uh, bit of information by saying, hey, by the way, I know that's what you believe, but here are the actual facts. And they can't really process that. And like you said, this is all psychological and, and people have really gone for a psychological journey during this time well and, and that's the power of story because we have to use story to get knowledge across to people you can't just tell them facts they've already had they've been told a story they have an emotional relationship to that story and and that's the whole idea of like the hero's journey why why i believe cinema and why i believe a, a good story can we're trying to get people to change their minds so, you know cognitive dissonance means they're like they they're, that's the resistance of that i don't want to change my mind they don't want to admit that yeah. but there is a process to change of what it is to go internally consider something and have it change your mind have, have it click you to another space you you thought one way and then you click to another way of thinking and you have to cross thresholds you have you have to have an emotional threshold that you experience you go through it you 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 have this sense of achievement achievement and, and an emotion comes with that that sense of achievement that sense of triumph pride 
um, um, uh, joy, elation, or or fear, or even rage. I mean, the whole gamut. You can go through these thresholds, but at that at that moment of threshold, you can get you learn one piece of knowledge that gets into your head. You, yeah. you, it's, it's. I don't know why it's the player piano of our psyche. I don't know why we're wired this way, but this is the way that you know we're, we're hundred thousand years of oral storytelling. I mean, we've written words relatively new, couple couple millennia. All these uh, video formats are only a couple hundred years old. We're not we're not actually genetically predisposed to understand what's going on to us with this material. We just like oral storytelling. We absorb it. And there's something about the way emotions and knowledge interacts and how it passes along wisdom that we, we really have to have a counter and we have to counter the mainstream narrative in order to reach people. And so in the docuseries, we actually have a uh, what we call the epiphany storyline. We have this uh, lovely woman named Jen Reisman, who's being interviewed by the YouTuber uh, Sydney Watson. And Jen Reisman is a child psychologist. And she was 100% bought in out of Maryland. I mean, she was like, she's sort of self, she's like, I became the COVID police where people weren't wearing the masks. Like, you got to do this. You'd see family on, on social media, birthday parties, not wearing masks. Like, that's wrong. You know, she could see it. But then she was also helping children at school who she could only see only over Zoom. They were getting, they were becoming miserable, depressed, suicidal ideation, abuse through the roof. Everything was going wrong and she couldn't do anything about it. And she could see the lockdowns were having a worse effect on children, on families, on individuals in this country than the, than, than the disease was having. And yet she could feel it. She could feel like, I, but, I, but I had to sort of, she was sort of a, an automaton enforcing the rules as she was told to because that, that was that was the exchange but then when they started pushing back further and further, like they kept not reopening the schools and she saw her daughter becoming horribly depressed the only thing they could do was walk the cat because they had nothing else to do because they you know, lived in a little bit one bedroom kind of thing or two bedroom apartment in maryland and and she was desperate to keep her you know from 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 hurting herself effectively and uh it's it's one of those things where she was like wait this makes no sense this makes no sense and i started quite she'd explain she like walks through i started questioning myself i started feeling these two parts of myself battling it out and and that's what we want to do with this story walk people through that those different epiphanies those different thresholds we have certain emotions and like when people as you said like when you show people things that go against what they believe to be correct they're going to be like this they're gonna be like no, they're, and they're gonna they're gonna hang. They want to hang the messenger for it. But if they if an, if it comes from enough directions, and you see it over and over again, and we have high production value show to counter the mainstream narrative. Our hope, my hope, um, the Soundmind Creator Group, which is my co-producing uh, team with this, our hope is to change minds and lead people to an understanding, an epiphany of like, oh, maybe everything we were told wasn't what it seemed. And that's that's what that's what follow the science lockdowns go viral is all about. And you talk about the lockdowns because for most people, the lockdowns in their area lasted about three months. I mean, like tr totally like you can't leave your house three months mm. type. But then when we talk about when some people say, well, I'm I'm failing to understand what is still closed right now that you keep complaining about. I'm saying, well, I still see tape on tables. I still see plex to this day right now, plexiglass barricades on things i mean we're in february of 2023 this is three there, years we've been doing this. there are people who are still barricaded in their homes oh yeah they're still they still haven't left i mean anyone from howard stern to other people who are just they, they're afraid of leaving they're afraid of germs um and the psychological impact even though for some people they think oh it was just three months it was a couple of you know i worked from home they got to I made more money i got i got my stimmy checks and everything like that whatever they want to say 
Um, but the psychological impact of the schools being closed for a year, two years for some people, Zoom school, the truancy rates that were popping up, especially with Zoom school, and the kids who were going to whatever they wanted to call school, they were either learning about you know, ridiculous trans propaganda or Black Lives Matter, that kind of stuff, instead of reading, writing, and arithmetic. And others were just like, uh, yeah, I don't need to go here. I'm just going to play video games because I got a chance to be at home. I read today, just today, that they were talking about the TikTok ticks. I don't know if you've heard about this. Mm -hmm. kids, bit, when, yeah. kids, when they were going back to school, were having forms of Tourette's, I guess. And it's because their parents kept them in, either their parents or the government or whatever the case was, or the teachers, that you can't leave your house, you can't do anything, that when they started re-entering society, they couldn't handle that. Mm -hmm. So what are we doing to chill? What have we done to the psyche of children? When you interrupt three school years, a kid who's in second grade is going to be much different by the time he gets to fifth grade as far mm -hmm. as development. The masking was huge, too, because little mm -hmm. kids pick up on social cues, especially from the face. And when yeah. everyone's faces are covered, they can't pick up on that. And yeah. so a lot of kids are two to three to four years behind of where their development could be. So that psychological impact is just, I mean, you can make a series about this till the end of time. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and that's what we're trying to establish. We want to establish the characters, the storylines, the world. It, 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 the show is eventually, it's sort of a cosmos meets reading rainbow. It's kind of how I can describe <laughs> it, kind of with a wry sense of humor. Um, but um, it's, uh, but I mean, tens of thousands of students have, have gone missing. I mean, something I saw something like it's like 230,000 kids are, 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 are just gone. They, they never made it to the Zoom transition. They just disappeared from the, the roles of school. They have not reappeared. I mean, this is, I mean, I'm talking people about epidemic. I mean, this is a travesty. And and yet it's no one really wants to talk about it because it goes, I mean, it, it just goes against the way they feel about it. And and I just think that's awful. I just think it's terrible. I, I feel like the, the character, the American character has been under extreme duress. And I believe we have to step back, back, back up and become the responsible people, which means the ability to respond, to respond to these problems in a, in a, in a fair and safe way. And, and that starts with asking real questions. We, at the very beginning of this conversation, we talked about what it is to ask questions and what it is to ask questions of power and what's coming down and 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 at thinking hey that doesn't make sense maybe we should try something else and we experienced this extreme shunning i mean shunning and shaming i mean those were old world techniques that we thought were left in the, you know the 19th century i mean we, we thought that we were done with that and suddenly we're like wow we're experiencing shame and shunning for asking what we consider to be the right questions in the right time to try and figure out what what, what to do. And so as me as an artist and, and my coworkers and colleagues, it's like we need to support the scientists and the doctors who were asking the questions at the right time and right. give them the platform and the ability to be heard, be understood and and push back. And and I, I do hope that we find a path to dialogue. The whole point of the series is we have three hosts. We have Clifton Duncan, who's sort of the human interest storyline, Nick Hudson, who's the uh, science communicator, and we have Sydney Watson, who's, who tracks with the epiphany story and the mainstream narrative. But we have those three different storylines because you need three different points to navigate. We're trying to understand where are we now? So we thought these three different perspectives give us a, the ability for people to navigate what happened. But most importantly, at the end of the show, at the end of the pilot, the first episode, the, the three of them 
get together and have a conversation about what they each learned um, uh, between their three perspectives. And we that. want to establish dialogue and conversation. And as we move through the series, we bring in heavier and heavier weights and continue that conversation because conversation, good old fashioned dialogue between people, where you're, you're, it's not just waiting for your turn to speak, but someone says something and inspires you to think, you, your mind gets inspired. You think of something else. They think of, they say something, they say something, goes over, a bigger thing comes out of it. And we're going to, we're going to need that moving forward if we're going to figure this out together. And that's what the show inspires. And that's what we made the show. And um, so it's, it's follow the science. Uh, lockdowns go viral is the pilot episode. The, the premiere is April 19th. I'll throw this out really quickly and is in Florida, in Orlando with uh, Tom Woods hosting and Clifton Duncan will be there. And, um, and we're also just a, a shout out to your audience that we are raising funds to finish it. Uh, we, we, we've, we've raised $450,000 so far. We're raising a final 50,000 to finish it up. We have all these amazing animations and special effects and VFX and, 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 um, you know, pub publicity happening. So we're asking for donations to at follow the science series.com. And it's, we really hope that it's the kind of thing that if you want to have a conversation with your family or, or coworkers or people, you can watch this together and it'll bring that dialogue back to the norm of how we come to understand things. So that's what follow the science is all about. And that's what I'm doing. Follow the science series.com. You go there, check out the trailer there. It's about two minutes long. And, uh, uh, yeah, and, and the last thing I, I have to ask you, and this has been a great conversation, is that uh, getting a chance to have Clifton Duncan be a part of it. And I followed his story. You want to talk about following the science? Fo follow the actor here. He's a he was a Broadway actor who finally had it, and that's what that's what bothered me, and I'm sure it bothered you. Was people in our businesses like when doing stand up, and and I was really upset by my fellow comedians that we're encouraging people, actually discouraging them for going out on the road, for performing, mm. for trying to earn a living. They're like, you don't need mm. to go out there. You're going to kill grandma. You know, uh, it's right. a deadly pandemic, the deadliest pandemic in the history. You can't go anywhere. And I noticed that in the arts community, the ar I thought, that, silly me, naive Tony here, thought that the arts community liked to be anti-establishment. They were the people that were speaking truth to power through their art, whether it is performance-based like stand-up comedy or acting, whether you're an um, you're a drawer, a painter, or graffiti artist. And it just seemed the arts community just knelt down to the government. They knelt down to Dr. Fauci that, uh, uh, you know, Hollywood shut down and their, their productions and everything. And it really disappointed me. The people that you would claim that were speaking truth to power through their art were the ones chastising people for speaking truth to power through their art. And Clifton Duncan was a big part of that by saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated for something that people are getting sick, regardless of vaccine status, and was essentially banished from Broadway because of his opinions. And I I'm I'm so happy to see somebody finally say, look, I, I can't be a part of this anymore. And he's he's found a new path. And I love that. And I'm sure you were probably disappointed by seeing a lot of your colleagues just fall lockstep in line with the government propaganda. Yeah, it, it's... I think we were coddled these last 10 to 15 years. I don't think we fully understand what the internet has done to us, to be perfectly frank. Oh, yeah. I, I think, you know, there's a there's a saying in the, sort of like a, in the nursing homes where, where nurses, you know, where if you work there, if you do something for someone, they'll, they'll lose the ability to do it. Like if, if there's an elderly person and they like cooking for them, like, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll lose the ability to do it. I think people really lost the ability to think for themselves. And, and I mean, 
or, or, or the, I think the equivalent for young people is maps. No one reads maps anymore. They just know that they push something in their phone and then they just either follow the dot or they just get into the Uber and you materialize somewhere. They don't actually know the really the spatial relationships of where they are anymore. And they and they don't have that conceptual ability. They, they use it or lose it. And it just seemed to really make people truly self-centered and focused on themselves in a way because they feared acknowledging they didn't know as i was saying before they didn't they didn't have enough confidence to say i don't know what that is can you please explain it to me and they would rather go down swinging sort of saying no it's all about me i'd rather protect me i mean when you're saying that people are like oh yeah you shouldn't go on the road it's like no they're, they're not worried about you going on the road and killing grandma they're just so terrified about themselves they're scrounging for excuses to to levy at you they they've they haven't thought that through that's just a meme that came in they've been told to regurgitate on you and and it's not them they're worried about their own skin it was true selfishness and, um, and, and, and selfishness was made okay by all this. And I, I think trying to recapture selflessness and, and, and trying to, well, what it is to work towards the group as an individual choosing to work forward towards a greater good is an entirely different thing than individuals being told to, to give up their individuality and comply because of the state or, or some government or authoritarian entity wants you to comply regardless of the absurdity of it all it's two different things and it's just trying to trying to navigate that difference is what we're trying i think we're all trying to do now and i think you know your your podcast your effort your leadership and what you're doing and, and the messages you're putting out what i'm doing and this the messages i'm trying to put out through the show and any real creative who they have to speak against it i mean there's i think a lot of artists so-called self-proclaimed artists who who who, who kind of came up through the system through the last 10 years they don't know what it is to suffer for their art they had everything's available to them online they can just create stuff as if it's nothing they didn't have to go dig it up and f figure out how to do it for dirt cheap and with no no resources so i i think clifton actually just tweeted the other day about like anyone who calls himself an artist these days as described by what you just said should probably reconsider the term because it's probably not yeah. the appropriate term for what they're doing you it's when you have to speak you have to like you think it you 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 you, you see it you think it you say it, you have to say it out loud regardless of the consequences that that's artistic expression and that's what we need to get back to follow the science series.com uh those of us in our pro freedom camp are going to watch this and just go oh yeah like this is this is great this is fantastic and maybe we'll we'll also learn things that we didn't even even us didn't realize but it's also for the people who claim to always be on the right side of history. And then they realize a lot of it, they were duped, they were lied to, uh, they were propagandized in some of the worst, most evil, diabolical ways. That's the people who this series is going to uh, hopefully impact, and we should reach out to them. Please donate uh, to finish the documentary, and I I'm I'm going to donate as well. And I'm going to try to – I think I will be in a, attendance there, April 19th okay. down in Orlando with Tom Woods, Clifton Duncan, and my guest today, which is Hawk Jensen from Follow the Science on the, the lockdowns and liberty and everything going in. This has been a fantastic conversation. I'm, uh, I can't wait to put this out and – Let's uh, let's keep spreading the word and just, you know, the, even though uh, what is it? May 11th is when Joe Biden said that COVID, the pandemic is going to be officially over. What's stopping him from doing it right now? <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe he's yeah. waiting until the All premiere right, comes out of uh, of follow the science. And then he's like, OK, now the lockdown now now we're done with COVID. The pandemic is officially over because I finally got to wake up to this. <laughs>
Yeah. Well, my hope is that we we're, we're going to hit peak absurdity before that. I mean, peak absurdity is 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 coming up soon, and I think everything's going to collapse under its own weight. That's my big hope for the future in general. But uh, it's it's a wild world out there. But thank you to you and, and your listeners, and yeah, follow scienceseries.com. And uh, we we actually have a sneak peek of a, a work cut on March fifteenth. So if anyone gets twenty dollars, mm. they can be part of that. And we're actually going to have a survey and ask for feedback because we are trying to hone it to as a large of audience as possible. So there's also that screening coming up on March fifteenth sneak peek and uh, something to to give towards and a little reward for the effort so thank you yeah forget beware the ides of march prepare the ides of march for that date <laughs> that's a great seminal time yeah and march 15th really feels like the anniversary of the of, i think it was march 14th or 15th that was the actual uh yep. i think that was when it, when it march, all march 11th was when we found out tom tom hanks had coronavirus and then we needed to shut the world down because an actor got sick for a couple of days yeah sitting there in australia which really went full gulag <laughs> Goodness gracious. Well, you have plenty of material for this ongoing series. Hawk, thank you so much for doing this. Can't wait to meet you in person. I'm going to donate to the to the fund. And uh, please, again, go check out Follow the Science and follow the science series dot com. Hawk Jensen, my guest today here on the Check Your Brain podcast with me, Tony Mazur. Thank you, everybody, for watching and supporting myself, my work, as well as Hawks as well. Thank you, everybody. And we'll talk to you soon.